Okay, Shalom Abracha. This uh, class is dedicated to the memory of Phoebe Bat Sarah and in the Shrut of Rabbi Nachman ben Fege, made her Neshama and Aliyah, and the Shrut of Tztaka given to spread this Tzaddik's teachings. So she should have a part with this Tzaddik also up there and have a major Tikkun. This is not a joke, this thing, because we're, we're taught there's a book called Koch Ve'or, Avner Barzel. And in, in there, there's a story that there were breast lovers in a village and they didn't have money to make Malava Malka. Every week they would get together for Malava Malka to sit down and sing Breslav Nigunim and tell words of Hitchaskut and stories of Tzadikim. And they were poor and they had no money to buy uh, bread, motzi, anything for Chala, for Malava Malka. So they would go to the local baker who or two, I don't remember exactly the version, or he gave them for free the leftover chalot he didn't sell Friday, or he sold them for like very cheap, very, very cheap, the leftover chalot from Friday. And of that, they made him a lavamalka. And when this baker passed away, Rabbi Nachman told this over. His neshama came to Rabbi Nachman asking for a tikkun, a rectification. So Rabbi Nachman says, what, what, what connection do you have with me? So he said, I, or he gave for free the chala for their malav malka, or he gave it a discount, the, the, the chala for their malav malka. And he said, that's enough to, to give you a tikkun already. That's already considered enough to help you in the world to come, Bezat Hashem. So we see from this that it's not a joke, that it's something very serious, Bezat Hashem. So Baruch Hashem, she should have an aliyah, this Phoebe Batsara. We have a lot to talk about, a few things. Because it's Shovevim, so I just wanted to explain a bit of the ideas of what happens in Shovevim. And what's our job really in Shovevim? <clears throat> the Arizal says that these six weeks called Shovevim. Shovevim is the six parsha: Shmot, Vaera, Bo, Beshalach, Yitro, Mishpatim. In a leap year, we had two more parshot: Tat, Truma, Tetzaveh. These weeks where we're really reliving the experience of the exile in Egypt and coming out of Egypt, right? So it's reliving it in the parsha. We're also reliving it physically. So Arizal says the whole purpose of the exile in Egypt was to rectify holy sparks. Which holy sparks? The holy sparks which became trapped in the evil due to Adam HaRishon. What did Adam HaRishon do when it was decreed upon Adam and Chava death after eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil on that Friday? So Adam separated from his wife Chava for 130 years. And in those 130 years, he had emissions. He had nocturnal emissions. He was having bad dreams of demons. And this caused a lot of Pagamabrit. So there was a lot of wasted seed. And they came back to be rectified in Egypt. The Jews going back to Egypt, going to Egypt, sorry. Going back, going to Egypt for the first time. Was in order to rectify these holy sparks. By the Jews being purged with the slavery the bondage, and also in, in Torah wisdom, they were also in Koshi, in Lebanim, it says the materials that they used, straw, right, uh, and kash, that's straw in Hebrew, and the bricks, the mortar is Lebanim. So the Zohar says kash is like the word for kashia, questions. Questions in halacha, questions in Torah, they can't have an answer. You, don't, you can't figure out the answer. That's kush, kashia. The reason why a question is called in Hebrew kushia, because it's kashia, it's hard. It's hard to figure out. That's what's a, that's the language of a kushya, kashe, kash, straw. Lebenim, lebenim are the bricks, is libun. 
that you want to clarify the halacha, libun halacha, so they were in bondage with koshi, straw, questions, and levenim, bricks, mortar, which is libun halacha, it shows that even the brain was in galut. The, the ability to think clearly in Torah, whatever Torah they had, transmitted from Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, right? And then Yehuda, and the, like we saw in the, in the last week's parsha, that uh, you, Yaakov, ya, sorry, two weeks ago, we, that Yaakov sent Yehuda ahead to establish a Beit Midrash in Goshen, in Egypt. There was a Beit Midrash that can learn Torah. So that was in exile. All that was in exile. And through the purging of the difficulty, that's how the Jews were able to rectify all of the sparks, the holy souls that were wasted due to Adam Arishon. Okay? So this was the, that's the main message of Shovevim. That's our main job. Because of that, Rav Nosen writes that the word Shovavim is similar to the word Shovav, that the brain is going wild. You have no clarity. These weeks, it's known that there is a lack of clarity due to extra pressure and extra stress happening in a person's life in these, these months. These months of Tevet and Shvat, there's a constraint. There's a constriction and it causes a person to be stressed and pressured. Why all this? Because very simply, the reason why people fall into their lusts and desires, the main reason is because people have pressure and stress and they need a breath of fresh air, they need an escape, they need a cigarette, they need alcohol, they need to do a ta'ava in order to let themselves out because there's too much pressure and stress. That's the test. The test is that when a person is being squeezed and pressured, what does he do? Does he turn to Hashem? Or does he turn to the lusts and desires? Ah, anyways, Hashem doesn't want me. Anyways, it's not working out. And I don't think I'm going to make it in my life anyways. So a person has all types of excuses to justify, God forbid, doing something wrong. That's the test of Shovavim. So the head is not there. You're under pressure, stress. If it's financial, financial pressures, would you come harder? If it's emotional pressures, Avodat Hashem pressures, it's not working out to get up in the morning. It's not working out to serve Hashem. I'm getting angry at tiny things. This child gets me angry. This happens and this and the neighbor and all crazy things. Specifically in Shavim, you couldn't pick a bigger, better time. <laughs> no, you can't pick a better time. Why? Why is this happening? In order to squeeze a person, to put him under the pressure and stress, so to see that he does the right thing. So now, the Zohar this week's parsha, unbelievable. The Zohar this week is an amazing piece. It says there, and it's connected to what we just said now, that when Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach, which is strange, his name rarely appears in the Zohar. It's the first time I've seen Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach, who was like a Tana, right? He was a Tana. He's from Perkevot. He's mentioned in the Zohar. It says in the Zohar that when he would come to the, the first pasuk of this week's parsha, of El Shemot B'nai Israel he would start crying and crying and crying. And he would explain like this. He said that the pressure of the Jews in Egypt was so strong, was so intense, so severe, because it's like they're being squeezed from here, from here, from here, from, from every corner you're being squeezed, and you feel like you have nowhere to turn to. Even if you turn to Hashem, you feel squeezed. Like someone like now also, they're trying to steal our air. We can't even breathe anymore. You're not allowed to breathe. <laughs> Corona? No, you're not allowed to breathe now. We have to cut your breathing. You're not allowed to, not, not allowed to share my air. You're not allowed to breathe my air. That's it. It's forbidden to breathe the same air. What do you want me to do? So being squeezed from all the corners to the extent that a person doesn't even think about turning to Hashem. That's how bad it was. What did the Jews do? It's amazing what the Zohar says. The Jews couldn't handle it. 
they just dropped everything and they ran to the graves of the graves of the 12 tribes who were buried in Egypt at the time. They were all buried there. Yosef was in the Nile River on the bottom. Yisachar, Levi, Reuven, Shimon, they're all buried in Egypt. Wherever they were buried, we don't know. But they're all buried there. The Jews went to the graves crying, help us, we don't know what to do. Help, Davin, Teshamayim, activate some salvation in heaven. And the Neshamot, the Zohar says that the 12 tribes had, had no idea to help the Jewish people. They had no idea what to do. So they went, traveled in air, the souls, to Hebron, to the Ma'at HaMachpelah cave. And they started crying in front of the grave of Yaakov Avinu, Saba, Saba, a grandfather, do something for your children. We, we can't help them, we don't know how to help them. And it's such a pressure that it's unbearable. We're coming to you, help do something. So the Zohar says that Yaakov Avinu gets permission from heaven. He asks permission from heaven to go down to Egypt, his neshama. So the soul comes and the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence says, if you're going, Yaakov, then I'm coming along also. So it's Yaakov with the Shekhinah plus the 12 tribes coming down to Egypt. And that's hinted to in the first Pasuk of the Parsha. These are the names of the sons of Israel. Yaakov and his sons, each one of their family came. So the Zohar says it's Ba'u, like it's past tense and it's also future tense. They came physically, the many years earlier, hundred and something years earlier, they came before uh, physically Yaakov and the, and the 60, what are 67 people, children, Right? They came down to Egypt. There was Yosef waiting, Ephraim and Asher at 70 in total. Fine. So they came down then physically, and they came down now a second time for the, for the, to see this. So the question is, what? They don't know what's happening in heaven? They don't know what's happening in heaven, the pain in Egypt? They don't know what's happening? You need all this to activate them? To show you the power of davening by graves of tzaddikim. Look what it does. Look what it does. The power of davening by graves of tzaddikim, even if the tzaddik that you're davening at, he can't help. Like was the case here. The 12 tribes, they say, they, we can't help them. So what do we do? They go to a higher source that only, only, only they have access to. They have access to Yaakov Avinu in Hebron. So they went to Hebron. It's like Rabbi Nachman teaches. If you can't get to the billionaire, so you get to the one you, you can't you can get to. You get to the millionaire. And the millionaire can help you Get the connections to speak and meet to the billionaire. That's what Rabbi Nachman says. If you can't reach the high guy, so you get to one who's closest to you and who, yes, has access to the big shots. That's how it is in life and that's how it is in Kedusha also. That if you can't get to the big salvation, so you get to whatever you have access to and you use those means to, yes, get eventually to where you have to get to, Bezrat Hashem. It's a rule in, in life in general. That's how it is. That's what Graves of Tzadikim does. That's what, it, that's what it did. But to show you that the Jews did the right thing, Instead of going deeper into the Tuma, they were not Tuma. They were minus 49 in Tuma. But in that time, they made the right move. They made the right move in that they turned to Hashem. How did they turn to Hashem? They don't want to turn to Hashem. They went to the graves of the Tzadikim. So to us, in Shovevim, with the pressure, and it's understood with the pressure that people will fall. Okay? It's understood people will fall. However, because there's a chance in all the things that you'll do when you're under pressure, you will do also the right thing. Among the crazy things a person does, he did this thing wrong, he found this ta'ava, he did this last. But in all of this, he also did the right move. So it was worth it, because if you're going to do the right move, 
And we know that the one against the hundred will outwin the hundred because the, the, the good is so powerful that if you press on finally the right button, it's enough to cleanse all the bad moves, all the bad buttons that you pressed in life. It has the core to clean all that Bezat Hashem. You have to wait, have patience to get to that right situation. That's what Shovevim is. But the pressure pushes a person and he acts bad, he acts wrong, he gets upset and everything and he may do the wrong thing. But there's a chance because he didn't give up. And he wants good deep inside, but the pressure is just killing him. In the end, he does eventually get to the right access, the right attitude, the right thing to do. And with that, Bezat Hashem has a salvation. So there's this week's parsha, And the Zohar goes on to say something amazing, a story there with Rabbi Abba and Rabbi Yehuda that they had contact with a neshama of somebody who passed away. And the person who passed away, Rabbi Abba asked the body of the soul, do they know at all in heaven what's happening with us? And he said, of course they do. If it wasn't for the prayers of the dead people on the Jewish people, on the living people, the living people would not stand a chance, even a second. You hear that? If it wasn't for the prayers of those who passed on for those living, they wouldn't be able to survive with un- the unbelievable level of impurity and pressure and tumma and attack of evil that is so desperately trying to hurt, to cause bad, to destroy. If it wasn't for the prayers of those who passed on, they wouldn't stand up. Riga the Zohar says, even one second, one moment. Okay? So this is the power of graves of tzaddikim, and why even in this time of Shovavim, there's many devotions, like we said many times in classes in past years. Some people fast once a week, and rest of them have this custom once a week to not eat animal products. They preferably like Thursday. From tonight till, till Thursday night, not to eat any animal products, to eat like a vegetarian, once a week vegetarian, something like that. If you can, today with the diets, people are going through, people are all types of sicknesses and this, they need all types of protein diets and everything. It's not easy. But whatever a person can do. And also, Graves of Tzadikim is enhanced to try as much as possible to, to use access in the time when a person's under a lot of pressure, visit Hashem, to, to get out of it, visit Hashem. Fine. So that was just like an introduction for the time. We're going to continue, Bezat Hashem, with where we left off. We're now holding in the fifth chapter of the Tikkun HaKlali, and I hope this will be a very special one, Bezat Hashem. Let's hope. It starts off, chapter 59, this Pasuk. Lam Natseach, Al Tashed David Michtam, Bishloach Shaul, Vaishmirot Abayit Lahamito. We went to this already, because this Pasuk contains in it Rabbi Nachman's proof that the song, the melody called Nitzuach, which translates as to be victorious, to succeed, subdues the evil of the klipa. Because the verse reads, Lam al tashchet. Rabbi Nachman reads it, the translation following Rabbi Nachman's reading is like this. Lam when you activate the melody called Nitzuach, so there's no longer tashchet. What is tashchet? This word tashchet appears in the sin of the generation of the flood, where it says there, by the generation of Noah, it says, Ki kol basar et darko Because all of flesh spilled their seed, destroyed their seed on the earth. Kishit kol basar et darko. That even the animals were immoral, the humans were immoral, that's why the flood had to come, to destroy everything. They wasted seeds, so they're punished with hot sulfur, which is similar in smell and also in, uh, in uh, and what's, it, what's the word in English, in uh, quality, in texture, to the idea of, of, of the sin, of the, of the spilling of the seed. So here Rabbi Nachman's reading it, Lam Natseach, if you have Lam Natseach activated, Al, which means like not, Lo, 
Al Tashchet, there's no longer Hashchata, there's no more destruction, okay? This same verse that Rabbi Nachman brings is the opening verse of this chapter. We went into this chapter, but we're going to go a bit deeper, a little bit deeper. There is not so much commentary on this, on this verse, on this chapter, on the, on the theme of the verse. You have just one source from Midrash Tehillim. That's about it. There's no Zohar, there's no Gemaras, <laughs> there's, uh, there's no Midrashim, just Midrash Tehillim. Midrash Tehillim goes into this verse and this whole chapter and says the main, the main key to this chapter is how King David was saved from death. Okay? In context of King David, the verse reads like this. Lama Tzech, a song of victory, al tashchet, that there's no destruction, no death, le David, for David, in other words, King David was saved from death, michtam, this is like a crowning, we went into michtam already once, michtam is like a crown. This verse, this melody is a, is a crown for King David. When did he sing this? When did he compose this? Compose this? When King Shaul sent to kill King David, they sent guards to guard his house so that in the morning when he comes out, they will kill him. They were guarding the house of King David to kill him. Okay? What was the story there? We'll go over, we went into this once, we'll go over it into again, but with this more detail, there's finer details here now. David HaMelech had two people who loved him more than anybody else. These two people happened to be the children of Shaul HaMelech. Yonatan loved David HaMelech more than anybody else to the extent that Pirkei Avot says the best example of true love between two friends and that it's not dependent on like money or honor or anything like that. Just pure love is the love bond between Yonatan and David. Yonatan knew the greatness of David. He knew his, his truth and his emet. And he knew that even though his father is king and he's destined to be, to be the next king in, in line after Shalom Elech, he pushed that all aside because he saw the greatness of David, David as being the future king. He saw that and respected that and he loved David Melech more than anything else, more than the throne, more than the money, more than the honor, than anything else. That's number one. Number two is David's wife, Michal, who was the daughter of Shaul HaMelech. Michal, the Gemara says, was the sixth wife of King David. King David was rebuked by Natan HaNavi for taking a seventh wife, Bathsheba. Okay? He took Bathsheba without permission before the time. He knew with divine inspiration that Bathsheba was destined to be his wife. But he was supposed to wait. From Bathsheba was to come Shlomo Melech and eventually the soul, the soul of Mashiach. Mashiach will come through the lineage of Bathsheba. For it to happen, it had to happen at the right time. King David could not wait. He was so anxious to bring the redemption so he pushed forward and was dochek the shah. It's called his dochek. He, he forced the time, the matter, and prematurely married Bathsheba. For that, he was considered a type of a, a wrongdoing. And he was rebuked by, by, by Natan Anavi. Natan Anavi said to him, that, you know, why did you do this? Why did you give up permission? You, we could give you the blessing and the order, and you'll have, like your wife, six, another, two, another three times, another two times, 18 wives. So I mean, this... Verse, we learned that a king can have up to, a Jewish king can have up to 18 wives because it's six times three, six plus six plus six is 18. In the rebuke of Natan and Avi, we see how many wives a, a king can have. He was punished for Bathsheba because he did without permission. He was supposed to wait. 
He would have gotten permission, and he could have from the Beit Din, from Natan Aravi, from Shamayim, and it would have been okay. In the end, she was his wife, but he forced the situation. But the Gemara says, of King David's wives, who was his favorite wife? Who was the wife he loved the most, and who loved him the most, was Michal. The, the, the verse reads, there's a verse in Divrei Hayamim and in Sh- and the book Shmuel, Shmuel Bet, when it lists the names of the children of King David and their mothers, so it says, I think his name is Achitam ben Egla. So the Gemara asks, who's this Egla? What's his name Egla? So the Gemara says, Egla is Michal. Why is she called Egla? Egla translates as like a baby calf, a calf. Egla is like Egla is as a calf. Huh? You have a cow and you have an Egla, right? Egla, it's a female, it's a baby calf, female. Why was she called a calf? Because just like a man who has a farm and has animals, when his cow gives birth to an Egla, he's very happy. Because why? This is money, this is produce, this is eventually meat and milk, dairy. There's benefit from it. So uh, all, all farmers who own animals, they're very happy when their cows give birth. It's because it's, it's pure profit. It's pure benefit. And they have a love. They have a love for it because, wow, there's such a benefit. So too, King David truly loved Michal more than any other wife because she was super wise. She was very smart, very wise. And she, more than anybody else, helped King David. Where is that illustrated? In this story. In this story when Shaul HaMelech sent guards surrounding right surrounding the house of, of Shaul HaMelech so <coughs> sorry so uh, when uh, surrounding the house she saw that they wanted to kill they wanted to kill David HaMelech so she told her husband you have to escape there's a back door there's a side door back door she, uh, she said to him, you have to go through, escape that back door. They're not going to guard it because it's like a little gate that's not used. So she, knows, she said, they're not, gonna, they're, not, they're, not, they're not hiding there. So she made a rope to, for him to go down. And to save him time, she took a, a mummy, a trafim, and put it in the bed. And she took some like skins of like a goat, whatever, to make like a pillow, as if it's his head. And she covered the whole thing with a blanket. And the, in the, the morning, he's not going out to Davin. He has to go out to Davin or something. The guards knocked, where's, where's David? Where's King David? Where's David? David the Melech. So she said, he's, he's not feeling well. He's sick. So they wanted to come and see this for their own eyes. And they see that the body's in the bed. So they told Shaul Melech, he's not coming out. In order for us to kill him. So King Shaul said, bring him with the bed to me so that I can kill him myself. So they took the bed, not knowing that it's a mummy. And they're carrying the mummy. And then only once they arrived at the palace of Shalom Melech, they uncovered to see that it's a, it's a mummy. And with that, he gained time. All thanks to the wisdom of his wife. Okay? What we're going to say now is pretty deep, pretty, pretty like pointy and pretty sharp. This itself is the whole idea of Netzach. Netzach is a salvation, but Dafka from the side of the woman. This is, uh, this is very sensitive, but we're going to go into this. Rabbeinu, he said once that he very much wanted us to make our wives also chasidim. To make his, our wives to be followers of the tzaddik. To teach them the ways of, of Rabbeinu, of the tzaddik, so that the wives should also receive this light. 
It's not enough that the husband is breastlift and the wife says, I have my own thing and he has his own thing. It's not the, that's not the thing. The thing is to get the wife to such an extent that not only is she a supporter of her husband, but she comes in times of desperate need when the man needs a major Yeshua in the Inyan of the Tzaddik in order to make that boost to save him. Okay? This, Rabbi Avram ben Rav Nachman hints to in lesson number 60, in lesson 60, he goes into very deep the concept of Mordechai and Esther. The whole miracle of Purim, which is coming up, is through Esther. We call, we, what we read on Purim is called Megillat Esther, which is translated as Legalot, to reveal the secret hidden within Esther. Avram Rav Nachman, he writes that there's a relationship between a Rav and a Talmud. Right? The, the Rav is the teacher, Talmud disciple. And like Rabbi, Rabbi Kadosh says in the Gemara, I think it's Rabbi Kadosh, The main learning of a tzaddik is that through the Talmud. In other words, the deepest levels of Torah accomplishment that a Rav reaches is specifically through the Talmud. Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman hinted this a lot, that through Rav Nosin, through Rav Nosin being there, newer levels of teachings were revealed. It was through the Talmidim, specifically the yearning and the shtokekut and the yearning to receive, right? That's how the, this tzaddik, Rabbeinu, was able to receive even much more. It's not recording. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So, so this thing this thing of the, of the Talmud, <coughs> Rabbi Nachman says, is found in every couple. He says in every couple you have Bechinat Mordechai and Esther. Mordechai is like the Rav, because it says in Megillat Esther that Esther was Shomeret, she was Mama Mordechai. She was guarding the instructions of Mordechai, not to do this, not to do that, be careful when she was taken. So this like the, the fall of the guidelines that, that Esther was receiving from Mordechai is like the guidelines that Talmud receives from a Rav, and through this, the greatest poor miracle revealed, which was the killing of Haman, and the revealing of the greatness of Mordechai, was to Esther. All this miracle, the final, final spitz of the poor miracle, was Esther Amalka's Gvura to do that, okay? That itself is the whole idea of Netzach. Okay? They won't be ashamed for Netzach, all those who rely on This miracle was true. Esther, going back to Michal, the same thing. If now they would have succeeded in killing David HaMelech, finished, no Mashiach, the whole world upside down, everything would have been totally distorted. Mashiach destined to come from David HaMelech, and this plot, this ploy of Shaul HaMelech, who's a tzaddik, and it's a tzaddik, and it's her father even, and yet she had to stand up and do something. David HaMelech at the time was mevulbal. They're out to kill him. When a person is under pressure, like we said, Shovevim, we lose the sanity, we lose the sechel, what to do. She was outside of the situation. She was able to think clearly what to do, the Yishuvadat. She saved him, okay? It's one thing that they say in Breslev that a person has to be Echad Avraham, that there are times when a person's all alone, that everyone turns against him. His wife, his family, his parents, his in-laws, his friends, his Rebbein. Rebbein goes into this. A person, he has nothing in the world, Echad Avraham. But it's not meant to stay that way. It's a test. And it's a temporary test, okay? 
like about Rav Nosen and his wife, for example. In the beginning, Esther Shandel, she was very opposed to Rav Nosen and the ways he was taking and following Rabbi Nachman. And she couldn't stand it because he was throwing the burden on her when he became a chassid. He was only davening and learning. And she was about to give in, you know. In the end, she got to see eventually the greatness of Rav Nosen and she became supportive, okay? And not only supportive, but, you know, to encourage that he should follow his way. Huh? Esther Shendi was, was not the wife of uh, Rav Nosen? What? The second wife was Dishl. First wife was Esther Shendi. Yeah. First wife of Rav Nosen, his, his Eshet Neurim was Esther Shendi. The second one was Dishle. Dishle was the second wife, yeah. His, his children, his main, his six children, they come from Esther, Esther Shendel. And I think he had two other ones, Yosef, Yona, and uh, Nachman. I think they came from the second wife. Six children? Six or four? Yeah, six and other two children, right? Eight. I think he had eight in total. Six from the first wife. Yeah, he had, uh, what was her name? The daughter? What was Reverend Rachel's daughter's name? I forgot. I forgot her name, Esther Shendel. Trying to remember. Chayalana is the mother. Chayalana is Ravnosin's mother. Esther Shendel was his wife. And the daughter, I forgot her, the daughter's name. I have to remember the name of the Rev. Rev. Nussan's daughter. Find the second wife? Second wife, Dishele. Right, and Rev. Nussan's daughter, I forgot her name. Ah, I have to go over these things. But uh, the, the, the point is that the wife becomes supportive, and in this case, even more. She's the one who pushes for it, Bezat Hashem. This is Netzach. This is a victory. And that, a man's wife is turned into such an ezer, not kenegdo, no more kenegdo, but a super duper ezer, and she, in the end, saves the, 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 the existence, saves the matzav, saves the situation. This is the idea of Netzach, and it's in the hands of the wife. That was the whole picture here, that Michal, she saved him. Michal, by the way, is Rashi Tevot, Ki Malachav, Yitzav Elach, right? This is like the salvation of Tfilat Aderach. This is hinted to in her name, okay? She was the one who actually saved, saved David HaMelech. Thanks to her, we have the whole continu- continuity. And in this, Rabbeinu is hinting to that the goal of Al-Tashchet, Lamnatseach Al-Tashchet, there should be not Hashchata, but the opposite. This is the idea of a good wife, that the wife not only Bezat Hashem will be supportive, but even will save. This also Rav Nosen hints to See the greatness of the role of women in the world. That there's a famous story that the Magid of Chernobyl once spent Shabbat with Rav Nosen's father-in-law, Rav Dovid Tzvi, and Rav Dov- and they were waiting to start Kiddush. Why were they waiting? Because Rav Dovid Tzvi's wife did not yet come back from Shul. So the Magid of Chernobyl said, Ah, the Baal Shem Tov said that when Mashiach comes, they're going to close the women's sections. There'll be no, no more women's sections in the shul because women don't need to go to shul in Davin. Look at the ticha they're causing us. This is not needed anymore. They'll be closing the women's section. Rav Nosen would go over this story and he would say, but from Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman, we heard the opposite. That when Mashiach comes, the women's section of the shul will become very much more expanded, possibly even more than the men's sections because the women's davening is very, very powerful. So what we're trying to say of all this is the idea of Netzach, which is a victory, is that one succeeds in making one's spouse a follower of Rabbeinu also. The Netzach, the light of Netzach shines into the wife. It's not enough, not enough like we said, then the home, the, the, the man is one way 
and the woman is another way. The husband's a breast liver and the wife's a belzer. The husband's a breast liver and the wife, she's a litvik, a prushim, and that. The goal is to shine this light into, into, in, in, into her also. There's a lot of depth in, again, this lesson 60, where I can't go into all the details because it's very, very complex. But basically, the man has the ability, in particular through the mitzvah of Ona, to shine everything he has into the wife, Bezat Hashem, so that she is mamash on the same page as the husband, and even more so, because like we said, that the wife starts shining this light that the man has, even much more, double, triple, quadruple. I'll give you just a personal story with me, something very funny that happened, okay? A situation like this similar. It was, 19, it was 2006. It was Erev Rosh Hashanah, Right after Rav Michal Dorfman passed away, we were very—I was very close to Rav Michal. Me, my wife, especially my wife, more than me, was very. She saw Rav Michal Dorfman as a, as a, an example of a breast liver, getting up chatzot, nets, he'd body do it every day, no kavod, no honor, simple, straightforward. You know, a, a, just a straightforward person with your chamaim and everything. That was an example of a breast liver. So he just passed away in 2006. I think so. I'm saying 2005. Tafshin I forgot, or in 2005 or 2006. I forgot the date already. And it was Erev Rosh Hashanah. And it was the first year ever that I was going to bring a son, my son, who was six years old, to bring him with me to Man Rosh Hashanah. So I was pretty nervous. I was like, you know, how am I going to do this? I, until now, I go every year by myself, and now I'm taking my son for the first time. So it was, I made sure to get an extra early like, bus ride, because I'm taking a boy with me. I have to be careful. I was like very nervous that it should work out. So I get to the airport extra early, like the, the line for the flight didn't even start yet. At that time, we needed a visa to get into the Ukraine, okay? So the travel agent who made my ticket made also a visa, and it was a group visa. All the people were traveling together from this travel agent. He made one giant visa of all the passport numbers with the visa on all those passport numbers. So on that visa, was my passport number and my son's passport number. So we're in line, okay? And I'm first in line because I, I was waiting from the very beginning even before they opened the line because I'm nervous. I want things to work out. So I'm in the front of the line and then all of a sudden, a person who was also very close to Rav Michal came with four Sifri Torah to bring for the davening of Rosh Hashanah in the Kloys in Uman. And because he knew me and he trusted me, he asked me to take a Sefer Torah. And I refused because I was nervous. I said, I have my son with me. I can't take a Sefer Torah with me. And he said, help me. I have four Sefer Torah. You know, I, I'm, I'm schlepping everything. I, 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 I trust you. I said, but I, I can't. I have a son with me. What am I doing? I'm holding him, holding him, Strymel, and this is a six-year-old boy. So he said, okay, at least let me go before you. I have the Sefer Torah. I said, for sure. So I, he went in front of me. He goes through. Everything's okay. He finds people to help him with the Sefer Torah. I come to the desk, the lady looks at me, she says, do you have another passport? I said, why? She says, you can't go on the flight. I said, why not? He said, they made a mistake on your passport number, the last three digits, instead of 989, they wrote 898. We can't let you on the flight. We can't let you on the flight, because if in Kiev they catch this mistake, we have to pay the fine, not you. We're not letting you on the flight. I started plotting, I started going nervous, I started panicking, I have a boy I'm taking, and it's 3 in the morning, this, this took place 3 in the morning, okay? But they get up extra early for all this to happen, 
or going crazy. What am I going to do? I started to cry. I started to go nervous. And I called my wife and I started crying on the floor, on the phone, because I have no issue for that. What am I going to do? She had calmness. She said, quickly, I'm going to call now the, the, the flight, the company, and see if there's two more seats on a later flight. They found two seats literally on the last flight to Kiev that's flying to arrive before Rosh Hashanah from this airline. So she said to them, quickly switch my, my, my son's and, and husband's seats, put them to that one. Now, what I have to do, I have to find to get a new visa. And it's now four in the morning, and the people on the, on the, on the flight are screaming and making like a, a, like a protest, why they're not letting me on. If you don't let them on, we're not going to go on. In the end, it didn't work. The guy said, okay, so don't come on. We don't need you. It, was, it wasn't a chartered flight. It was a regular flight. They said, okay, we don't need you. It's okay. No problem. You don't have to come on the flight. So in the end, they said, we don't know how to help you. And people told me this and that. You have to get to Tel Aviv, downtown Tel Aviv. There, there's one Ukrainian travel agency who has connections with the mafia to get you easily. Just pay money. He gets you a visa on the spot. Okay, and they gave me the address and how to do it. But they didn't know exactly where it was. So they said they sent me first to the consulate, Ukrainian consulate. So I'm going nuts. I dove in crying in the airport with my twin. I have now to find a place where to put all my luggage. At the time, we had to bring our own food. This is before Shiners. So I had frozen, my wife prepared tons of frozen meals for Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah. And I was worried everything's going to go bad. And I hardly had any money on me. I had maybe $100, $100 on me. From just to, that's the whole trip. That's to pay for all the expenses of the of the transportation and everything. And I was I was going berserk, so I had no choice. I had to put and had a place to shmet chafatzim to to keep your stuff in the airport under surveillance. And I my poor little boy, he's he's exhausted. He's it's like now four or five six in the morning, seven in the morning. We take a taxi to go to downtown Tel Aviv, and I'm running out of money. Okay, so I get to the Ukrainian consulate, and there are tons of breast livers standing there trying to get permission to have access to speak to somebody to get a visa. So you have all these Ukrainian guards standing, looking at us like a smirk. And then a lady comes out and I say, I'm looking for this and this. She said, why do you want that person? I said, I need a, I need a visa. I said, we don't give visas here. So like, no, like, that was my, my last hope. So somebody told us there's a travel agent down there. He's the one who does the, he can get you the visa. So we go, we, take, we walk or we take a, uh, take a taxi, we go down. And there are tons of Hasidim there also, trying to get a visa. And I say by accident out loud to my wife, it looks like this is the mafia here. So he heard me, the owner of the travel agency. Mafia? You call me mafia? You are not going to take care of. I'm going to take care of everybody else, but not you. So my face fell, and I don't know what to do. And then I started begging him, please, you know, I have a little boy here, a six-year-old. Have, have Rahmanut, have some compassion. So he said, you need to come up with the, the $300 within one hour because the consulate closes at one i can't go in before one so i said where can i get money and i had no money at home i, my, I told my wife i'm supposed to get my paycheck and she was expecting she was expecting she was already uh, she gave birth a month later so she was eight months okay she's expecting look at the mr nefesh she did i said i didn't get i didn't pick up my paycheck i called my work is the paycheck ready yes can my wife come to pick it up my wife was pregnant plus a baby in the, st in the stroller. She went eight months all the way to my work to pick up the check and then to, to the bank to cash it, to turn it into cash and then to the post office to use Western Union or the bank door to transfer money from the, the post office in Jerusalem to the post office in downtown 
Tel Aviv, which was not, which was like two blocks, three blocks away from where I am. And I have one hour. You can imagine the lachats, okay? And I'm waiting for her to do it. She says, okay. I, I wired the money. So I, I'm, I'm by the post office shaking, shaking. And, I, I, and my son, poor kid, he's with me. I'm dragging him because he's half asleep. And I get the money. I quickly come to the guy. I give him the money. 15 minutes before one or five minutes before one, he sends his, one of his people work there. And my heart, heart is pounding. And I said to Hashem, I did, I did what I can. Well, we did what we could. And she, he, she comes back. And he gives me, shows me the visa. Everything just melted. Everything, wow. And then we go back to the airport. The flight is at, at 7 p.m., the last flight. And we got there. But the point is, she did more Mr. Nefesh than me. She wanted me to get to Uman, Roshana, and my son more than I did. She was the, was the warrior here. She was the hero here. Here also, Okay, Lamnatseach al Tashchet le David, when Shaul wanted to kill. Shaul wanting to kill David Amalek is the idea of Machloket against the Tzaddik. Who in the end stuck up? Who was the example, the role model for this to take place? It was Davka Michal. Davka, his wife. And that's the idea of Nitzuach. Nitzuach being a salvation. When do I have a salvation and a victory? Is that when. My marriage partner is no longer Kenegdo. She's now Ezer, and Ezer even more than me. She's even um, she's enhancing Umitalmidai, like Rabbi Abraham Nachman says on the on the lesson 60, from my students more than anyone else, that the light coming back from the disciple is greater than the light of the Rav. Rabbi Nachman goes into this also in lesson 66, how a disciple can have Pishnaim, Elisha had double the portion of Eliyahu Navi, where a student can have more of the energy of the tzaddik himself, even though it's from the tzaddik, but it's now showing double-fold, even much more, in the Talmud. So too, by husband and wife, if a man is zoche, the one Netzach is activated, the Nigun of Nitzuach, the victory is shown in matters of Ketushat Abrit, where the wife is enhanced and turned in being a greater breast lover than a man. So you might ask, if that's the case, why aren't women going openly to Uman Rosh Hashanah. And it's funny, I have to say this openly, even though it's being recorded, that Rav Michal Dorfman used to speak about this, and he would say that really, ideally, everybody should be coming to Uman Rosh Hashanah, just like everybody goes to Meron like Bomer. Meron like Bomer, men, women, children, everybody goes. The same thing should be ideally for Uman Rosh Hashanah, but it's not set up, it's so upside down. Probably before the war, women were coming. Rabbi Nachman's daughters came to him for Rosh Hashanah also. Son-in-law's daughters, they, they came. Okay? The, it's not set up. It's so upside down there. And it has to be developed eventually with the, with the what's it called? The, the tzniu, the modesty should be maintained. Because if you just have men and women walking everywhere, then it defeats the purpose. The whole idea is, is Shemir Tabrit. That's the whole thing. And if it's not set up for that, if it's like, like one section for women... One section for men, like they're trying to do in Meron, like Bomer, for example. Half the building is for women, half for men, and you can go up, technically, a Mehadrin path for men only, and a path for women only, technically. Okay? You can have that eventually by Uman, then yes, it'll be a universal thing, but this is the goal, that it should be in the home. And not the situation, well, he's one way, and she's one way, that's it. Netzach is where the man is matzliach, to shine the light of the tzaddik into his wife, to the extent that now she is shining the light more than him. And in context of Ketusha Tabrit, the man has ideals. He has like, a, what's it called? Hagdarot. He has li uh, in, uh, lines of conduct that he wants 
his Kedusha Tatabrit to be in, and the wife is not, in, not with him in that. She's more open than him, she's more modern than him. The goal is that he's able to shine his light to her, that she becomes even more than the husband in a sense. She becomes more trying to shine this light of Kedusha that he wants, but it's still in potential, she brings it out into actual. This is also the idea of Lamatzeach al Tashrit. I think we'll stop here. But now the idea of, of Netzach. Netzach is a Hatzlacha to get the feminine side. Netzach in the Sfirot is on the right side. It's the right leg. But it, that's the whole thing. It's the right side to be shined into the left. So the left is subservient. Od, which is like the, the, the left leg, is subservient to the, to the right side. That's the goal. The goal is to shine the Netzach into the feminine aspect. This is what David succeeded with Michal. And even though afterwards it says that when David Melech succeeded in bringing back the Aaron, the Holy Ark, which was captured by the Plishtim, and they agreed to, the Plishtim agreed to send it back. So in the inauguration of bringing back Hanukkah Tabait, so David Melech was dancing like a like a Nanach guy, if you want to say, he was dancing and jumping, okay? And she saw this, and she was disgusted by this, that a king that was so respectable that she, you know, that, that he should be dancing like, a, like, a, like a, a common person, like a lowlife, it was very hard. So she told him that, you know, you're dancing, it's not respectable for a king like you to dance like that. And he said, for the Torah, I'm willing to dance even a thousand times funnier and more sillier than this, in honor of the Torah. And it says that she was punished for, for saying that, that from that point on she had no kids. So they said, how come she says Egla, the, the Achitam ben Egla? So that son was born, they say, or before this happened, or at her death, because she had no kids until she died. But when she died, there's an opinion that she gave birth and she died together with the birth of this child at her death. This is a machlokin in the Gemara when she had this child. So she had too much love for David Amalekh. She couldn't stand that he would lower himself for this, for the honor of the Torah. Because for her, King David was greater than the Torah. You have to understand that. What, it wasn't like it was a pkam, but it's a, it's a blemish reflecting how much she loved and respected her husband, King David. She said, it's not befitting you that you should dance like that. Even if it's for the Torah, in my eyes, you're greater than the Torah. You're David HaMelech. You're the, you're the Tzuvah de Rabbanan. You're the, greater, you're the Tamil Chacham representing the Torah. And you're dancing like that. And she, he corrected her. He says, this is the thing. That as great as I am, I bend myself to the words of the Holy Scroll of the Sefer Torah because that's where my energy comes from. You, you're dependent on me, but I'm dependent on the Sefer Torah. So that's that she was punished in a sense, but that, that also the punishment shows her greatness that how much she, she admired and loved David the Melech. And that's the idea of Netzach basically in this context. We should be Zoche, that we should make our wives breast lovers more than us. They should be the ones, like all these stories I hear lately, my wife bought me the ticket. My wife kicked me out of the home and said, go to Uman. You know, we, I hear tons of stories of people that when they heard the problems this year for Rosh Hashanah, the wife sent them a month earlier. I didn't do it. My wife sent me. She kicked me out of the house. Go. I, you have to be there. It was unbelievable the stories we heard where the wife is Netzach. The, the Netzach, the, the victory and the championship, the, the, the salvation is Dafka. From the from the side of, from from the feminine side, like Michal, she saved David Melech. So too it is Bezat Hashem in coming close to this tzaddik, because that was the whole thing. The machloket of she didn't side side with her father. Shaul Melech was was a tzaddik, but he wasn't the tzaddik. He wasn't the tzaddik of the generation. It was David Melech. So she sided with him, 
and she helped them to save them even and, and, and thanks to her we have all that so that's the message of Netzach and Bezat Hashem we should be Zohar fine and nice alright